welcome to the Microbials Matter podcast, where microbials matter. We welcome our host, Dr. William Zimmer, veterinarian and founder of BioVet. Dr. Zimmer has dedicated over 30 years to researching and developing products that support digestion and overall health in livestock. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Microbials Matter. In studio today, we have our favorite, Dr. Zimmer, once again. Hello, everybody. Yes. And, you know, today we've been dancing around this topic. We've been dancing around it, dancing around it. And now today we're going to talk about it, acidosis, right? It seems to be kind of this this um, silent thing, right? It kind of sneaks up on you, and, and it can happen so quickly, it seems like, an animal. So, you know, today I want to start by talking about you know, maybe what what brings on the onset of acidosis and then why it can be just so detrimental to a herd or to a cow individual, um, because, I mean, it, it can affect almost every part of the body. Uh, not almost. Almost is kind of on the loose side. It, it affects every part of the body. Right. I mean, that's um, that's it, kind of a scary thought. It, it is, but we need to understand, first of all, that acidosis and production of acid in the rumen is what we're really talking about here and then eventually to the bloodstream. But that production of acid in the rumen is part of the natural digestive process for a cow or ruminants in general. Um, as we've strived in, in history to increase milk production of dairy cows, to make them more productive, make them more efficient, we feed more fermentable feeds, higher mm-hmm. digestibility to them. And these organisms in the rumen ferment that feed very rapidly, produce a lot of acid, and it kind of overcomes her system to absorb those acids and builds up in the rumen. And that's where we get what we term acidosis in the rumen. So taking a step back here, when we talk about the the uh, production of acids in the rumen, we're talking about butrionic, propionate. Talking about butyric acid, propionic acid, acetic acid are the three. The three big ones. Big ones. The volatile fatty acids. The volatile fatty acids. You also have lactic acid, um, which gets tends to get formed at a lesser rate, but is much more detrimental than the other three because it's a much stronger acid. And so as we get that acid produced, we really see a, a dramatic drop in pH in that rumen. So as as we we get off balance with these acids and our and our overall rumen pH starts to drop a little bit, what do we see kind of happen at the in the cow at that point? Like, what are kind of our our maybe um, outside indicators or what might be some of the first things you start to see as the microbiome is being affected by these changes or by this this upset acid? I, I wish there was an easy answer for that one. Of course, there's no easy this answer. This depends <laughs> on the severity of the acidosis that goes on. If it's a very acute onset of acidosis, uh, a cow get into a huge amount of grain, for example. Uh, what the we cows tend- are out, yeah. Yeah, the cows are out. <laughs> In the way we feed cows today, we don't see that generally. But if that was the situation that was to occur, the first thing that we would notice is the cow would go off feed. That would be the sure. first outward sign. And that's actually a natural protective mechanism for the cow. When she becomes acidotic in her rumen and everything slows down, the rumen microorganisms start to slow down, the first thing she wants to do is stop eating so she's not adding more fuel to that fire, so to speak. Uh, putting in more digestible carbohydrates at that time would just cause more acids to be produced, so she goes off feed. Mm-hmm. That in the good old days when we were still stanchion feeding or tie stall feeding, individually right. feeding cows, we would see those types of situations where cows would go off feed for a few hours. Now what we're seeing is just a slight decrease, almost undetectable 
decrease in dry matter intake on those cows. And so what we're running into more with dairy cows today is they'll consume their meals. We tend to push feed up a few times a day, the more mm -hmm. often the better, by the way, because that, that tends to increase the number of meals and sure. make those meals smaller. But as the meal is digested, that cow will slow down just a little bit inside, and you won't even notice it unless you mm -hmm. have some kind of a rumen monitor or some system like that where you're, you're actually measuring rumination. Then you'll start to see those rumination numbers drop down over a period of time. I mean, and they drop pretty quickly, right? Like, they can be impacted they change, pretty fast. They change throughout the day in response to those meals. So right. they can be very rapid, and then as the meal gets digested and acids are produced, they'll slow down for a while, and then they'll speed back up. And you can actually see these cycles pretty much every time you feed the cow. Mm -hmm. um, you'll notice these when you're running that kind of technology. And so it becomes... Just, you notice like the crash you'll, you'll see the, kind You'll of? see the crash, you'll see the crest, you'll see the crash, you'll see the crest. And as long as they don't crash too low, again, everything to, to extremes. We want mm -hmm. to try to make those changes as, as slow and as uniform as possible so that they're not very dramatic changes. Right. Um, that, that's really what the cow wants. She wants everything to stay the same minute after minute after minute. She is definitely a creature of routine and, and habit, right? I mean, exactly. we've seen it even if you miss feeding time by just just a little bit. They get cranky. They get cranky. Miss milking time, miss feeding time. It's almost as bad as babies. I kind of a little bit, yes. Yeah, it's, it's like we're taking care of a thousand angry babies at once sometimes with our herd. So, I mean, so let's say we see this crash and we see this crash and it's, it, it, it goes a little too low, right? Um, how, how does that start to affect the cow and really the lactation or her milk production. Let's say we 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 didn't see it right away or it's, it was very subtle. You know what what might transpire next? So a few things that go on. We can have some tissue damage locally in the rumen wall, which is bad. Which is very bad. We get inflammation in that rumen wall. Um, long term, if we get this repeated episodes of, of acidosis going on, we can actually get scarring of that tissue loss of what we call the papillae, which are the little mm -hmm. shag carpet-like finger fingers that stick out that dramatically yes. increase their absorption of the volatile fatty acids that they need. Um, and so you can kind of lose that absorptive capacity long-term, and you can also get scarring of that tissue, which may never go away. On the short-term basis, what we tend to see with that inflammation that goes on is those cells, the epithelial lining of that rumen wall will actually loosen up, so to speak, which... Normally, that, that rumen wall wants to be able to absorb nutrients, but not let other things pass through. So mm -hmm. digestive bacteria, for example, things that are actually outside the body when they're in the digestive tract and are foreign materials to our immune system and to that animal, we don't want those entering into the tissue of the cow. And when that acidosis occurs, what we call tight junctions, which are bonds between those epithelial cells that hold them together and keep that barrier there, tend to loosen up and all of a sudden we can have organisms or pieces of organisms that will actually pass through and create immune problems. Um, most of that has to do with at the cellular level. But we can also get, and where the detriment comes in, is the bacteria that live in the rumen themselves are very sensitive to, that are just big enough and, and to get through, to get or through normally barrier. held out, but to get through that barrier now when it's weakened. And those lipopolysaccharides, those endotoxins, when they get into the body, flow throughout the entire body. Now we got and problems. create inflammation everywhere. Yeah. And so we can see issues like liver abscesses, foot lesions, um, lung lesions. We can see things throughout the entire body that are subsequent because that barrier process has been broken down. And these dead organisms now are, are becoming toxic to the animal. And I mean, you know... 
in your experience, you know, how long does that take? How long does it take before we start to see, you know, kind of these side effects, maybe a little bit of uh, laminitis, a little bit of inflammation through the joints, like from these endotoxins? I mean, it can happen pretty quick, can it? So depending, again, on the severity is really what it comes down to. If liver abscesses and another one, you may, because the liver is such a, a really dynamic organ, mm-hmm. you have to lose about 90% of the function of the liver before you even before notice you know. anything. Yeah. Uh, an abscess can go undetect, undetected in that cow until she's slaughtered. As I say, probably her whole life. We wouldn't necessarily know. In the beef industry, they really see this a lot, obviously, when you're raising animals for meat. And livers are something that is, is a usable organ for meat mm-hmm. and consumption is if they have these abscesses, they end up tanking those livers. And you'll see a huge increase in the number of liver tanks that go on because they have abscesses in them. And a lot of that can be traced back to acidosis. So it just depends on the severity of it and the organ we're looking at. Um, you know, fever, things like that on a very short break basis. If we would look at those things and analyze those, we could probably see them. But it's just not something we do every day. The cow is really good at masking those things until it's really too late and we, the, the lesions that come about are structural or something of that sort. Right. So maybe that's what makes this one of the more frustrating metabolic diseases is, oh, you know, you can see the, the onset of milk fever pretty quick. And, and ketosis, again, there's some telltale signs. She's pretty lethargic, right? The ketones, the, the even the smelly breath. But, man, acidosis, it's just like the the, the signs are so subtle, they're so and, subtle, and by the time you actually notice them, it's long after the insult has actually occurred. The damage has been done, so to speak. And so monitoring those things on a daily basis becomes critical. Working with your nutritionist to control the ration becomes critical. Doing everything the same every single time. A lot of the management things that we do are very important for helping to, to mitigate some of those issues that go on because we just don't see the results until way after the, the insult is occurred. Right. Weeks, months. So, I mean, you know, following this train of thought for a minute about how acidosis really at the core is is when our rumen pH gets too low. And within feedstuffs themselves, we have fiber components, we have starch components, we have pectin components, all these different carbohydrate types that are out there, and they all break down at a different rate. And in right. a lot of cases, the bacteria that are breaking them down and actually doing that fermentation create different kinds of acids. Well, sure, so yeah. fiber, for example, will almost never go to lactate production. It will mm-hmm. always, almost always end up as an acetate-producing uh, type of a fermentation. And the cow has the absorption capacity to absorb so much more acetate out of her rumen than any other volatile fatty acid that it never really builds up because of fiber. We get into pectins that tend to produce more propionates and things like that and break down a little faster. You can get a little bit lower pH because a few more of the acids are produced faster than they can be absorbed. Mm-hmm. When we get to starch, it breaks down so rapidly that's our, that's our that ticket. we really start to see the accumulation at that point in time. And a lot of the organisms that can break down starch can also produce lactic acid, which is, again, is the, the acid. It's about 10 times stronger, by the way. Because it helps to drive there are, milk production with, on some With level. all acids, because they are energy. And mm-hmm. so the, the benefit of lactic acid, there, it, even though it becomes more of a detriment in most cases, is that when it can be mobilized by the cow and utilized by the cow, it's one of the two major fatty acids that become lactic acid, for example, becomes glucose when it's metabolized by the liver. And so when glucose, which we talked about earlier in our ketosis episodes and so forth, um, that blood glucose level we want to maintain in the cow, we prefer to do it with propionate, but lactic acid is another way to do that. It's just that it's a lot lower pH, so it's a little bit more sketchy, if you will, on getting that done. It's not as efficient. 
Um, so we really want to riskier. try to avoid excess levels of that one in particular. Sure, sure. So following this thought of starch, um, obviously we've had this conversation too that harvesting a feedstuff even as little as a few hours apart changes the composition of the feed. So understanding that part, do we see a spike in acidosis at certain points in the year? Or it, I mean, I know it can happen at any time. We but... do here, especially in the upper Midwest, we do. Or right. even in temp more temperate climates, we do during the summer months. And the reason for that is, is during the summer months, we have huge temperature swings. We get mm -hmm. heat waves that come in. Cows don't really feel like eating, so they back off a feed for a while, a few days. The weather cools down, and all of a sudden they gorge themselves more than they had been for the previous couple of days. And well, yeah, so they're hungry. five, six, <laughs> ten pounds of dry matter intake difference um, can basically start a lot of these episodes of what we would call subclinical ruminal acidosis. So it's not the kind that we're going to instantly see but it does drive the rumen pH low enough. So we'll get these swings that go on for a couple of days where they have good rumen pHs, and then they have acidic rumen pHs. Mm -hmm. They have good rumen pHs and acidic rumen pHs. And every time we go through those episodes, we can create a little bit more damage to that rumen wall, have a little bit more leakiness in that gut wall that we can get some of these endotoxins flowing through, um, things like that. So summertime is really a detrimental period here in the temperate zones. When we get to some of the other zones that are out there, um, newly grown and harvested forages sometimes that are highly digestible at certain times of the year can create this um, where we have a lot more pectins and sugars and things like mm -hmm. that available. Uh, corn starches, when we, when we bring on corn silage, for example, we usually think that, oh, okay, this is corn silage. At that time of the year, it's generally the safest, actually, until we start getting into the spring months when it's, it's gone through the entire ensiling process, yeah. process and that starch becomes more available. And so we can start to see these swings throughout the year from, and those are a lot slower uh, onset than something like a heat in like a, yeah. you know, acidosis would be. I mean, that's a pretty it's quick something way. Something that we have to know as nutritionists especially is to be able to adjust our rations accordingly. And that's tricky, though. That's tricky. Cows are so, so uh, uh, temperamental when it comes to temperature, right? We see it in the winter. We see it in... In the spring, we see it now this time of year. Just, just man, it gets a little too hot, and they're like, "Nope, I'm done. I'm cutting the feed right now." And again, they are highly trained athletes. They are. I mean, the, the amount of milk that they're producing—it's—it's it's a world-class athlete that's out there, and it doesn't take much for heat stress no. to to do this to them. So, I mean, I assume once the damage is done, we can't really reverse that that uh, leaky uh, um, room and wall, right? Once we're kind of loosened that up. You'd be surprised, actually. So they can they, bounce back so They can bounce back. So with most tissues in the body, um, cows or animals in general, are we're extremely resilient. And because those epithelial cells basically will replenish themselves in about mm -hmm. a four-day, five-day period, that's how rapidly they grow, um, you do have a quite a bit of healing that can go on within that gut wall. The difficulty becomes when you get insult after insult and you start getting this inflammation and then the scar tissue that forms on. Once the scar tissue is there, we don't get Then there's nothing. Yeah. And when we actually lose the papillae structures, they will take probably until the next lactation to start coming back if we get that severe of a, of a level where we're actually taking off those papillae. And if they do grow back, a lot of times they just end up being shorter than they were before. Is are they less surface so area? You get less surface area, which means you get less acid absorbed. Again, this is maybe back to the lactation cycle, but animals that just seem more predisposed, like absolutely young heifers versus older cows. May, well, the animals that tend to be predisposed are early lactation animals. Okay, sure. And the reason for that, again, is, is that they're dramatically increasing their dry matter intake to try to 
catch up with their energy demands for that high milk production they're giving. That and, you know, just increasing every day a few pounds, a few pounds, a few pounds, you tie in some episode, whether it's a heat stress at the time or something of that sort of feed change, and that's just enough to throw them over the edge. It's... I mean, it's it's cool, but at the same time, it can be it can be tough to manage. If we only allow them to eat pasture, we would not have the issues. But if they only ate pasture, they also wouldn't get the milk they, production. We'd that get we'd like, like to three have. pounds a day. So, yeah, well, yeah. You're, you're exaggerating a little bit. Okay, Come on, maybe okay. twenty three pounds. Okay, well, I mean, it would be significantly decreased. Right. But, but it's when we want to try to supplement to gain more productivity out of those cows and those additional carbohydrates because we don't know what she took in on pasture or even the fact that she ate those on pasture and now we're going to bring her into the barn and feed her a more concentrated, highly mm-hmm. digestible carbohydrate source for a few meals. We've increased that energy density of that ration, the, the highly digestible starch fraction, if you will, during that period of time. And now we can run into these, again, very short bouts of acidosis because that part of the ration ferments much more rapidly. Right. But then if it was in a TMR where she's taking in, yes, overall in the same day, the same number of carbohydrates, but they're being spread out evenly throughout those meals, and that cow then can adjust them. So do you ever see any issues then with like green chop? You know, sometimes, especially we're coming into, it's uh, in Wisconsin here, we're coming into the early summer months. So sometimes it might be a little shorter on feed. So we got to get a green chop. Sometimes in there just to just to make the ration work for t- if, if till we can harvest corn silage. It's not nearly as bad, but if we're going to just go out and feed, you know, we're going to make green chop. We're going to put it in a feed bunk outside and then still feed our grain separately. Then you do see those. Then issues. you see some problems. Um, if it's mixed into the TMR, it, it's much more predictable than even a, a pasture animal is because it's it's impossible to go out and say, okay, the cow got so many right. pounds of pasture. No idea. Depends on what she ate that day. No idea, Whereas yeah. if I'm at least green chopping it, I can weigh it. I can kind of figure out close to where I am on a dry matter basis. Now, yes, it does change if it hasn't rained for four days versus if it's, you know, rained and the plants Still are really pretty succulent wet. and yeah. dripping out when you, you know, if you cut off the stem and they start dripping out, um, then, you know, you get differences in moistures and dry matters that way. But it's much more predictable if we can at least mix it in. So maybe this is this is a, uh, a question that's that's a novice move here. But, you know, as calves develop their rumen... So, you know, we we, kid them, we get them going on kind of a starchy diet. We add the fiber, et cetera. Then, then we get to a point where we put them on TMR. Do we see acidosis problems in calves at all? Absolutely. Okay. E- so, even worse than adult cows. Right. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not completely off base here. So how does, how does that even affect maybe what their productive life can look like or even, you know, reproduction or does it? Does it not play as big of a role? Because, again, I'm well, going back to that endotoxin thought and, right. and, and growing animals. What we know so far, we, we know very little about the long-term effects, by the way, but what we know so far is that that period of time in an animal's life prior to weaning, if they get these type of gastrointestinal insults, that that will affect their barrier capability and their absorptive capability of their digestive tracts for the rest of their lives. Wow. That's the long-term you know, issue that yeah. can go on. The shorter term issue that we see in a lot of calves, especially calves that are rapidly growing or we're pushing them for rapid growth, we really want to try to get them off of liquid feed as fast as possible. So we're weaning them, pushing that weaning age earlier and earlier, is if the rumens aren't ready for that, we can create acidosis at that time. So we would take a calf from two pounds of starter grain and take it off a of feed and the next day she's eating four or five pounds. Oof. That dramatic change in that grain intake at that point in time sets them up for ruminal acidosis. 
Yeah. And a lot of times you'll see this on calf operations where they go, yeah, we're struggling that week of weaning. It's probably oh, sure. because their rumens aren't developed enough yet. They, they can't take in enough of that grain and haven't developed that technique enough that we're going to start overfeeding. When they get what we call grain overload, it's very mm-hmm. common. Um, they get a lot of lactic acid produced, and we get what's called delactic acidosis, which cattle are very sensitive to. And most of the times when we see delactic acidosis, it is in calves, and it's because they've been fed grain at a, at a too high of a level. And again, this is a double-edged sword for calves because what makes their rumen wall develop are the fatty acids that come from grain fermentation, not so much from fiber fermentation. And so we want to feed them grain to get that rumen wall to develop because that's where the butyric acid, the propionic acid are going to come from that are going to feed that rumen Mm -hmm. wall and make it develop, but we can't go too fast. So really the rule of thumb with calves is a quarter pound change at a time. If they eat a pound, you give them a pound and a quarter, three days later you can make another quarter pound change. Make it very, very slowly so that that rumen can adapt. And then they seem to do okay on it. But when we make the change too rapidly, that's where we start running into problems. Okay, again, down down the path of maybe ridiculous questions here. Are they born with rumen microbes? I mean, we know the rumen's born no, very underdeveloped. Hopefully, if an animal is born, it's born with a sterile gut, completely sterile. And as soon as it starts to be born, it's passing through that... that, that and it's inhaling things know, and... That yeah. vaginal tract mm-hmm. and, and birth canal, it's starting to gain microbes from mom it's starting to gain microbes from the environment as it starts to drink and eat and things like that these microbes start to come about and that's kind of fascinating it's, it's from zero from to zero to you know, billions in exactly. just a short amount of time and so we we get that that establishment based on what they're consuming the environment they're the environment in they're in all those types of things and that includes pathogenic organisms and beneficial organisms that we want to establish in that gut so that starts out basically from the day they're born, and it progresses on usually until they're probably a good, in the case of cattle anyway, in the case, probably until they're a good six or seven months of age. And then they probably have their microbiome that they're going to have for the rest of their life, but it will change slightly once they get older and ration changes go on. We'll start to see some slight changes in that microbiome. And the microbiome's a lot like a fingerprint, right? They're no two the same. There are no two the same. Um, like all of us, if you looked at our fingerprints, we have ridges, we have different characteristics sure. to them. In cattle, probably 80, 90% of the microbiome is common. Sure. But 10% of it is definitely individual. Is different. And so if we could figure that part out and it was inexpensive to do, yes, we could use it just like a finger, you know, a fingerprint or DNA from a cow. And we say, could this see. Is exactly who you are. So, I mean, okay, now we've talked about how acidosis can really start I mean, as early as a couple weeks old, depending on how hard we're pushing the grain and depending on how hard, you know, we're, we're trying to get them to grow because that's, right, that's a key in those first 30 days we keep talking about. And even into, you know, the weaning period and into as you kind of transition diets and on up, you know, it begs the question, how how does BioVet or how can BioVet play a role in really any of those stages, especially when it comes to acidosis, which is something, as we've just discussed, there aren't telltale signs. There aren't immediate red flags to like, and and it's not you know you have to support that acid production without losing that biome. So what you know, where do microbials play that part, and and you know how early can we start playing that role? 
So in, let's start with the first question. We'll end with the last yes, one. Yes, I know. I just um, said now I have all these all these things I want to know. Well, and you, and you asked me ten questions in one. Day. So I I'm going to start here. And, that, and if yeah. I miss something, you can bring me back. <laughs> I will but promise. The the microbials that we want to have established there that can be beneficial are things that we can actually supplement into the ration through direct fed microbials. And our ultimate goal with that is to strengthen that microbiome, that interaction between those organisms and the actual epithelial cells themselves. And we know that there's interactions that go on between bacteria or other organisms in the gut and those epithelial cells and that immune system that's immediately there. And they can have effects like making sure that those tight junctions don't loosen up, for example. Mm -hmm. Certain populations of bacteria tend to tighten tight junctions, whereas the acidosis situation may loosen those. So if we can put in organisms that are going to have more of a supporting effect on those epithelial cells, on the organisms that are there that are going to keep pathogens from dying, for keep pathogens populations low so we don't get these lipopolysaccharides, because not all bacteria are going to express this endotoxin lipopolysaccharide. It's only certain ones. If we can keep those populations more in check, um, then we get less of an insult from that when we do get loosening of the tight junctions. So there's a whole bunch of interactions that go on. It's a chain that, reaction, really. Is, that we can do through organisms. And we can also have direct effects on the acid load that's there by using certain types of organisms that will ferment that carbohydrate in a different way. We can also add organisms that will utilize those acids before they can overload the system for the cow. So, for example, we know there are strains of propionobacteria. Um, naturally, in the rumen, there are strains of Salinomonas and Negosphera these types of organisms that are lactate-utilizing organisms. And in, in the case of propionobacteria, the strain we use is P63. Um, it, its almost sole purpose in life is to utilize lactic acid and produce propionate from it. So I've now taken an acid that's 10 times stronger to and one that's weaker by tenfold. Right. dramatically improves the pH. And propionate gets absorbed out of that rumen about three or four times faster than lactate does. And the liver can metabolize it a few times more efficiently than it can lactic acid. So I can run it through the entire system with less impact on that animal just by converting it from one acid to the other. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but that just makes so much sense that you'd want to do that. It does, and, and it does work quite well. But we always hope that we never get to the point where we're producing high levels of lactic acid, especially in a dairy cow. Those rations, we if they get to be that low pH, then butter fat starts to be affected. Well, we got like we got bigger pro so we got big problems. We, we, we got big we problems. We try to make sure we don't get quite that low. But the right. other aspects that we talked about, making sure they don't get that low, making sure that we deal with that gut integrity that's there. Those are other roles that microbials can play that we can add into the system that can have a dramatic effect on what impact acidosis is going to have. And your second question: How early can we start day one of life? As soon that as microbiome they start is being developed developing. from day one of life. And yes, when we feed a young calf, we're predominantly feeding it milk. Usually that bypasses the rumen and goes right down into the abomasum. Um, but we do always get calves mm -hmm. nibbling on a few things. The environment is there. Those organisms are starting to establish in that little rudimentary rumen uh, that will then develop over time. As they start nibbling on grain, there's, those there's still babies. Start to they develop. put everything in their mouth. Mm -hmm. They're still babies. And yes. the reason it's really critical for calves is again, because we're, we want grain to develop that room and wall, but there's always that fine line between grain overload and enough grain to get this to mm -hmm. occur at a nice rapid rate, is their lactic acid is a major dominant factor. Unlike in an adult dairy cow where we can kind of look at the ration and say, all right, we really don't want to get all that far down the road. We don't need that much, yeah. In calves, lactic acid is going to be present 
quite readily. Even the sugars that are in lactic, you know, if the lactose mm-hmm. that's in milk becomes lactic acid when it's broken down by certain types of bacteria. If you want to go to the first floor of the elevator, because I know where your elevator speech goes, um, that would probably be my first take-home message when it comes to even with just acidosis, but overall the microbiome. Start animals on a good microbial program from day one so that we're addressing that microbiome to become healthier and healthier. It will make her more resistant to some of these changes and these impacts that we're going to have later on, make her more resilient to some of the, the issues like acidosis that she may encounter in the future, and making sure that we do that from day one is really critical. Unfortunately, we can't go back and say, all right, what did we do as calves and how much Mm -hmm. production did we lose from that cow over the lifetime or did we predispose her to certain things later in life because it's water under the bridge and we don't have those kind of interactions that go on. But I'm sure that if we did that, we would soon find out. And and they have done this in pigs, for example. They've gone through and done Mm -hmm. this where they've been able to show that if you disrupt that epithelial development, that microbiome at a young age, that that animal's gut barrier is weakened even all the way through its entire life. They've actually been able to show that. But in cattle, it's a little more difficult because of the length that they live and some of the things that it's we do. It's not, yeah, so the cycle's not as quick. But that would be the first take-home message is make sure you start your, your young animals on a good microbial program, growing that microbiome so that it's as good as possible. And it's not just the microbes, it's your management things. Mm-hmm. Watching how you're doing things, working with it, your nutritionist and your advisors to say, okay, what am I doing? Setting up programs so that you're not overfeeding grain um, so that you're developing that room in a timely fashion, but making sure that you're not creating problems. And that would be the, the first take-home message. Second right. take-home message is um, things that you're working now with nutrition, and I don't point to the nutritionist so much on this as nutrition management, which nutritionists can be a big help on. It's how we manage. How do we feed um, how do we mix? Making sure that we're doing everything the same every single day, not only from pounds going into the mixer, but the, you know, if you can, down to the minute that we feed, mm-hmm. more often of feeding so that we get fewer changes throughout the day in that digestive tract, all those things that are involved with management, and then making sure that we really fine-tune those going into the summer months where we have heat stress and temperate zones. Yeah. That, that is one of the bigger critical parts of it. And again, microbes become part of that. At a minimum, at a minimum, you should have yeast in your ration all the time. A better approach is to take not only yeast, but some of these other strains of microbes that are going to be able to help that microbiome, that digestive tract wall, maintain its integrity and maintain its function, even though we get these little insults that go on because of some of the acidosis, acidosis excuse me, that can be created over time. So that would be the, the third floor level, if you will. And the long-term level, if you're going all the way to the top, All the way. Take us all the way there. All the way to the top is we need to understand that what happens inside that animal's gut affects that entire animal for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. And so if we start looking around and we're going, wow, I've got all these feet problems that go on, you need to go start looking back three to six months and you'll probably find the culprit. Right. Oh, well, yeah, I kind of did this. And even if you don't recognize that you did it, that's what it points back to. Um, Just that weakening of integrity of other tissues around the body and some of the things that we're more prone to seeing are foot lesions. Um, usually in dairy animals, we don't see a lot of abscessing because they're down the road already. But if you do have mm-hmm. cattle that you send off for slaughter and you're seeing any of that, that can be an indication. Um, just little things like that. But feet are probably one of the big things. Reproduction can be as well. Um, cows that are under acidotic stress tend to be less reproductive, if you will. 
but it's yes. so hard to measure that and go back that you kind of got to look well, at Well, I mean, indicators. conception rates can be influenced by everything from time and, of day to, and yeah. acidosis is just one more stress on that animal. It's just so. one more thing. But, it, you know, I think, you know, back to our original point here is it's, it's, it's a sneaky one that can really affect, as you pointed out, every part of the cow's body and, you know, just being able to support her microbiome and support her with those acid productions and kind of help balancing that out is, is really can be key to, and to negating a, and acidosis. being aware of what those signals are. So feed is one that I mentioned it. Yeah, I mean that's that's all I had on my on my checklist today for acidosis. But I know this was one that that we we've been dancing around, like I said, and we've been leading up to, and now today we kind of see a bigger picture, really, about how acidosis not only plays a role from as as much as baby calves on on up to mature cows, but also how you know we can play a role through management, through support, through nutritional support, um, to help kind of you know. Give that animal the best shot at not having so many problems. Becoming the most productive for you. To learn more about microbials, check out our other podcast episodes or read more at bio-vet.com.